On this episode of Progressive Palaver, the group discusses Pink Floyd's Metal. Hi and welcome to Progressive Palaver, a group of lifelong friends and appreciators of music discussing the greatest progressive rock bands album by album. I'm Joe Beauclair and on this edition of Progressive Palaver, I'm joined by my very good friends Ken Gregory and Paul Zotter as we cover the transitory Pink Floyd metal. Wow. I think it's a I think it's a transition point. What can I tell you? I think we're turning yeah. the corner. I know Tom thinks we turned the corner last episode, but I think we turned the corner this episode. Yeah, this one for sure. Uh, just from the soundscape, the 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 soundness of this uh this record. Was that a spontaneous transitory or were you thinking completely, about that? Completely spontaneous. I hadn't even <laughs> hadn't even thought of it beforehand that's the difference between me and you joe is that i would have been driving around all day thinking what word could i use to describe this (laughs) transitory i think that's the one i'm gonna pick i would have overthought it for sure sweet uh but here we are so yeah i i've i have been kind of excited to talk about this one for quite some time and in the in the pregame that apparently Paul is going to put out on YouTube. We sort of stumbled upon this, but maybe not in its entirety. You know, for for me, this this has been the turning point. And this is the first real glimpse of of what we're about to move into, which is, you know, the quote unquote main sequence, right? And and but at the same time, there are still so many elements of of what we've already seen the older pink floyd and what i realized as i was thinking about this album and and this period of music that we're in is you know me being a scientist and loving to plot things out and see trends and things of that nature pink floyd moves in such an orderly fashion throughout Mm. their musical career it's it's wonderful and so while you know, metal clearly points to dark side, which will then evolve into wish you were here. It also points directly back into everything that we've just done. It just, it just flows so nicely and it's so correlated. I I think you found your academic equivalent. Uh, The the chemist in you is just Gaga over the architecture students. (laughs) Kind of a parallel trajectory, would you say? Something like that. Yeah, I agree. Um, They had a policy in the band of not throwing away material. So you would find ideas written previously for previous albums, uh, later expressed, you know, finally for public consumption. And I think that policy uh, kept them gelled to an extent. You you were finding the same influences rearing up 
out of their fertile ground over and over again. Yeah, and yeah. and they they seem to have you know that they they seem to like to explore and work on things, and you know it, it's kind of cool. And and I got ahead of myself because I I neglected. We don't go right from this into dark side. We do have to go from this through obscured by clouds and then into dark side. Actually, upon reflection, although ob obscured, although yes. dark side was being written immediately after metal, right. So the fact that Obscured by Clouds, and we'll have to get into this, because Obscured by Clouds may be my outlier on my wonderful correlation curve, but that'll be next episode. But, but Ken, perhaps before we get too excited about all of this, maybe you'd like to tell us what the progressive landscape was like in 1971. Yeah, we've, we've been talking about the uh, timeline of progressive rock I want to suggest for this episode, there is also the timeline of California Dreamin'. In 1965, the song California Dreamin' became a hit. And I believe that the influence surfaces heavy for Pink Floyd on metal. So, so we'll talk about that. Um, Interesting. Okay. Specific to the timeline of progressive rock, in our last episode... Our beloved Sid Barrett had two releases in 1970, with the last one being November 1970, the Barrett album. And he's kind of gone at that point. So, so following Adam Hart Mother's release, they were able to get the Sid stuff released. I, I think Roger and uh, David were a bit, you know, uh, uh, charitable to say the least, uh, to, to get that off the ground. But our, our boys are touring primarily during this period. Uh, during 1970 and 1971, it is said that metal was recorded in these little gaps in between all the touring. Uh, so apparently their, their manager knew how, how to make them some money. Um, it's an October release, metal, so... Uh, Traversing from October of 70 to October of 71, uh, Adam Hart Mother, 10th of October 70, uh, Genesis to Trespass, Frank Zappa, Chunga's Revenge, Emerson, Lake, and Palmer had the self-titled al album, Gentle Giant, self-titled King Crimson, Lizard in December, then you flip over into New Year's 71, Yes, the Yes album released on my first birthday. Mm. 19 February 1971, Jethro Tull, Aqualung in March of 71. Uh, we've got Caravan. We've got The Mothers. ELP does Tarkus, which is known for brilliant artwork and maybe interesting music, a little crazy, but the artwork survived, I think, even more than the music on that one. Uh, more Gentle Giant, Beach Boys, Surf's Up, Frank Zappa, 200 Motels. 30th of October, 1971, Pink Floyd, Metal. So Metal falls in between all that wondrous stuff that you just said, Ken. And then right after that is you know, Nursery Crime and Fragile are released in the same year, just a month later. And then Pictures at an Exhibition. Yeah. And, and ELO self-titled. That's an amazing period. I, it's, I mean, this is, a, this is a phenomenal year for us to just you know, someday spend an hour and a half to two hours just talking about 1971. <laughs> Stay focused. <laughs> My, you know, the, the reason I say that, though, is because metal, 
you know, when I think about all the stuff, like I don't disagree with anything that you said at the beginning, Joe. And yet somehow metal is somewhat of a disappointment for me, all in all. A disappointment, really? Yeah. I thought after all the last, you know, listening to all these records that I wasn't all that familiar with, that I was going to just love metal. And I just liked it. And and I'm looking at all these other albums in 1971. I'm like, wow, metal really sort of just kind of, I don't know, just got, just sort of got overshadowed by them. Hmm. Although it really shouldn't matter, you know, to to me listening now. But, but yeah, it was just kind of a weird overall aesthetic for me this this last week and a half as I've been listening to it. I just kind of been like, yeah, it's cool. Next, <laughs> <laughs> interesting. So, in terms of the particulars, as Ken mentioned, Metal was released on 31 October 1971. It was produced by Pink Floyd, released on the label Harvest and Capital. Interesting side note, it was recorded at three um, credited studios, Air, Abbey Road, and Morgan in London. The track listing includes One of These Days, A Pillow of Winds, Fearless, including You'll Never Walk Alone, San Tropez, Seamus, and then in the good old vinyl days, side two was entirely Echoes. The uh, band lineup is the now familiar Richard Wright, David Gilmore, Roger Waters, and Nick Mason. Metal is the sixth studio album by English rock band Pink Floyd, released on 31 October 1971 by Harvest Records. The album was produced between the band's touring commitments from January to August 1971 at a series of locations around London, including Abbey Road and Morgan Studios. With no material to work with and no clear idea of the album's direction, the band devised a series of novel experiments which eventually inspired the album's signature track, Echoes. Although the band's later albums would be unified by a central theme with lyrics written entirely by Roger Waters, Metal was a group effort with lyrical contributions from each member and is considered a transitional album between the Sid Barrett-influenced group of the late 1960s and the emerging Pink Floyd. The cover has been explained by its creator Storm Thurgeson to be an ear underwater, as with several previous albums designed by Hypnosis, though. Thurgeson was unhappy with the final result. The album was well-received by critics upon its release and was commercially successful in the UK, but lackluster publicity on the part of the band's American label, Capitol Records, led to poor sales there upon initial release. That's sad. Very funny story about the, um, the album artwork as relayed in the wikis. I don't know if this is true or not, but it's there. Apparently, Storm's first suggestion to the band was a picture of a baboon's anus and the band apparently said no nah, storm i don't really want that and so somehow i don't know where the ear idea came from but so it's supposed to be an ear underwater hearing sounds but you, you know while we're talking about the cover uh, we've mentioned this many times i think during the palaver about some of the great experiences and conversations that Ken and I had in physics class in our senior year uh, around the wave pool, which we we, we apparently spent <laughs> a disproportionate amount of time studying wave motion. And this cover reminds me of the wave pool because it's got those little water water ripples yeah. going going around. Takes me back. 
How long did we study wave motion in physics? It, it seemed like it was at least an entire semester, wasn't it? I, we, we, we just couldn't do the labs. We, we're, they're like, do you see it? Did, did you record it? Do, do you have the measurements? <laughs> it, it didn't do it. We're, sit, we're sitting around. The lights are off. It was like we had it first period. It was it was it was seven thirty in the morning. Yes. the lights are off in the room. There's a bright light on this wave thing, and there's these two things making waves in the water. And Ken and I are just sitting there talking about music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh lord. We already talked about it, but I, I think in a lot of ways, you know, this this is maybe the first time and. Probably not throughout the entire album, but this is the first time that we really hear what we will come to identify as the the Pink Floyd sound. They they've kind of learned how to build their soundscape, I think, at this point. And, and it's interesting, and, and we'll get there. But like one of the things that you know, David's just shredding guitar tone is not existent yet. And so in those places where he starts to try to become rock god, it it seems a little odd because he doesn't have that that beautiful, sustained, soaring tone that he will become famous for later on in life. But but overall, you know, I think That's cute, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> like watching your kids grow up. <laughs> it is kind of like watching your kids grow up. So, like I said, that this this is what kind of what gets me excited about this. Now, prior to the palaver, and and I think I've mentioned this before, I was not familiar with this album. The only thing I knew from this album was one of these days, because it was on the I don't know what you call it, the compilation, a collection of great dance songs, which was everything, um, you know, past this. And then, so one of one of these days was like the quote-unquote old Pink Floyd song. Ooh, it's from this album, Metal. Wow. Because, like, my brothers didn't have it, so I didn't have it. I didn't have any <laughs> access to it. And it, it was only when I started procuring Floyd in, in preparation for this probably a year ago that I got my hands on it and listened to all of this. Now, the other thing that I got before I got Metal was... Echoes, the the later Pink Floyd compilation, which has a fairly heavily edited version of this song of Echoes, the song. And so I knew one of these days I loved it. I knew Echoes, I loved that. So I was just all in by the time I finally got this. And I've enjoyed it ever since. Yeah, I had a, a experience similar with um one of these days. When I went to see the delicate, I guess it was the delicate sound of thunder tour, the one that supported. Um, oh my gosh, momentary? the one that supported um, the one with the beds on it. I can't believe yeah, I can't momentary remember lapse the name. Momentary lapse yes, thank you. But what I can remember is I, I ended up going to I want to say what were we, freshman or sophomore at that time? I wasn't driving it. I must have been a sophomore, and I remember going with. Uh, ready for this. Alicia Klasinski, who lived up the road and around the corner from me, who I barely knew, and I guess my mom knew her mom, and mm. she had an extra ticket. And so moves, I, moves, I, I was the man that night. I was like, I went to see Pink Floyd with like three uh, upper class class chicks. Wow. Uh, they were like juniors and seniors, and there I am hanging out at JFK Stadium, singing "Comfortably Numb." Nice. Um, it was fun. But I remember this, they played this song, 
and it was it was that experience it was like oh like all the older dudes were like freaking out they're like yeah, yeah. and i think there may have been inflatable pigs flying around jfk uh during that song uh-huh. but um but it was inflatable it, pigs yeah i felt a little legit at that moment um experiencing experiencing one of these days now, so I don't I- know, you're taking all the wind out of my sails I was oh no i'm sorry guys, I, I went to jfk with nancy from super fresh but <laughs> this, is a, this is magic. That was a magical show for both of us, Ken. <laughs> I was at home, apparently. Very sad. <sighs> I did not Nothing see Pink Floyd until Dave. 1994, I think. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even though I, I, f- I had- feel like we did, we see that tour a second time at the vet, though. I think we did. Possibly the next summer. I don't know. Really? I don't know. I want to say I want to say I saw Floyd twice. Uh, maybe I'll, once maybe I'll have to check. Once the summer. Maybe I'll have to check my scrapbook for a ticket stub because mm. I don't remember shit, as we all know. Joe has a scrapbook. <laughs> um, <laughs> Why do you guys say it like that, man? I don't know. I am the group historian. That's my job. You are. Yeah. So you have. I, I'd say you have archives. Archives, not, not a scrapbook. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds more professional. A scrapbook, it, it, like it puts these images, like you're sitting in bed at night, you know, <laughs> drinking hot cocoa, <laughs> with stuffed animals, snipping, snipping things out of, uh, you know, your old memories, and and pasting them into like little sheets. <laughs> All right, we've just we've we've just elicited the ire of the scrapbooking community. Way to go! <laughs> They probably follow us on Instagram. We just don't know it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, my good. Oh, that's too much. So I do want to take exception really quickly to the wiki paragraph that I read. Really? Just, just because, I mean, here, we're how many albums in? Sid Barrett did an album and a half. And we've had like, three or four since then, and we still want to tie somehow what they were a year ago to Sid Barrett. Wow. It just, I, I don't buy that. That kind of irks me a little well, bit. Well, okay, let's let's unpack that one, Joe. Because um, it says Sid Barrett influenced group, right? It, I mean, this is what it says. It says, and, and this they're right what you said, like, and is considered a transitional album between the Sid Barrett-influenced group of the late 60s and the emerging Pink Floyd. You disagree with that statement? I, I, I don't I, – I disagree with the fact that they were Sid Barrett-influenced on anything after Saucer Full of Secrets. I, I really don't think mm. that they were. If you listen to – Piper at the Gates of Dawn, which was virtually written entirely by Sid Barrett, Sid has a distinctly different style from what Roger developed and what David brought in. So, you know, I don't, I agree wholeheartedly that this is a transitional album, as I said in the intro, but I I just, I think it's a stretch to call it, to say that the band was still Sid Barrett influenced at this point. I mean, Adam Hart's mother has nothing fucking whatever to do 
with whatever <laughs> Sid Barrett was was about. Point point okay, point well taken. I think that if you were if you were forced to write a sentence describing the transition of, of, of what this transition represented to the masses of many people who, you know, maybe perhaps were listening to Pink Floyd for the first time with their dates from the supermarket or their uh, uh, upperclassmen uh, friends from around the corner. It's probably a pretty accurate description, right? If you didn't, if you didn't really have any context. Okay. But let's put a pin in that because I had a revelation that's buried here within my notes that I think speaks to the, the, the really important switch that happens and what separates Pink Floyd before metal from Pink Floyd after metal. And they once, stop the LSD? <laughs> what's... What, <laughs> 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 Once we get there, we can consider this further. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I just want to know why I had to wait 35 years to, to hear about uh, Janet from uh, Superfresh. Is that, what was her name again? <laughs> Nancy. Nancy. <laughs> Nancy from Superfresh. I mean, we were, we were, we were, so, uh, wait a there was plenty of time around, around the tide pools to talk about, well, wait, about, wait, about that. Wait, wait a second. Wait a second, though. Uh, perhaps a better point is, Paul, you got hooked up with these upperclassmen, presumably because they could drive and you could not. So Ken, Nancy from Superfresh, older woman, who drove to JFK that night? What year was this? Thinking it was Momentary came late ninety. I think it was fall in 85, I want to say. Or, or maybe spring of 86, maybe? <clears throat> Are you sure Nancy and Alicia weren't best buddies? Because they would have been the same year. I'm really 87 not. was momentary lapse reason. I'm pretty sure it was fall of 87. Yeah, it was. It was the fall of 87, which means I could have been driving, I yeah, guess, but I guess driving. I just didn't. Yeah. But, but um, I, and I then had the and, big Buick. I, I remember driving to many big cons yeah. concerts with that big Buick. Oh, I love that Buick. That was hot. <laughs> the Batmobile. <laughs> we got to find a picture of that and post that on Instagram. One of these days is fun. If you If you're in the wikis, right? We get to like sort totally geek out because we get to use, well, actually uh, the other part comes into echoes, but we, we get to use the term ostinato, which mm. you know, it's always fun when you get to, uh, to whip out musical terms. This is really Ken's area of expertise, so I won't go too deep into it. <laughs> But I think I think we could ostinato the entire Pink Floyd catalog from here on out, right? <laughs> <laughs> Run like hell, ostinato, 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 ostinato. So another brick in the ostinato, ostinato, ostinato. <laughs> <laughs> the dogs of ostinato, ostinato, ostinato. So here's 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 the really funny thing about this, right? Because this this song, and and I've mentioned this before, I I have made it through such a long period of life in such a blissful state of obliviousness. One of these days illustrates that perfectly. As I mentioned, I have been aware of one of these days for a very long time. Probably came across it in my mid to late teens. 
always loved it, always thought it was really, really cool. It was only a couple of weeks ago that I was driving around and I had this in the in the player and I was like, wait a second, there are two bass lines. <laughs> That's pretty cool. So I went home and I threw it on headphones and I'm like, wow, there are two bass lines. And then I went and looked it up and guess what? There are two bass lines. I'm like, mm -hmm. wow, spectacular. So I have enjoyed yeah. this song for all those years, not knowing what the fuck I was listening to because I'm a moron and that's okay. And, and one of those bass lines is played with old strings. I don't know what which one is on the old strings. <laughs> I don't know exactly what that means. but You can't tell because all bass players play basses with old strings on them. No, that just we, don't, we don't change strings very often on, in the bass, in the bass community. So journalists are so de desperate because I mean, th there are some things that just, they appear in the wiki. They appear in the comfortably numb book. They even appear in the Nick Mason book. They appear in whatever you Google and you just see the same thing over and over again, because we're so desperate to know something about metal. And all we have to go on is holding strings. And it just <laughs> kept, <laughs> perpetuated. It's part of the magic. I mean, really, the really they should be focusing on the fact that, you know, it's it's not often. Although, yes, did it. Remember the uh, the talk tour, Real Love, Billy and, yeah. and Chris doubling up on the bass. Not often it happens. And given what we think we know about Roger Waters, you know, I could see him being one of those cantankerous people who doesn't want people playing in his space. So I think that's the bigger story here. Huh. Wow. I'm just going to go on record as saying I suspect that the bass guitar with the old bass strings was David Gilmore's bass, because why the hell would he be changing bass strings, right? <laughs> he just has a bass laying around the house for demos. And um, yeah. Why, I do play bass. <laughs> um, and the mandolin. Um, so, <laughs> and his, I always his... need to run the barbecue. So, <laughs> <laughs> his base, his base didn't really take that much money on the auction. The uh, the, <laughs> but the bass strings did. But, but you know, it, it is it is kind of fun because when you when you listen to it in headphones, the you know the. The two bass lines are split in stereo, which is is kind of mm. fun. Makes it much easier to uh, to play with. There's there's actually quite a lot of of good stereo mixing on this album that I find to be fun, and we'll we'll get to that um, later on. The other thing that I find interesting is you know here again, and, and we kind of talked about this last episode, certainly within Adam Hart Mother with. Um, Certainly some on, on Omagoma, we pointed towards the wall. This idea of Pink Floyd incorporating, you know, sort of sound design into what they do. So you start out with the with the windy noise and, and sort of the, you know, the ambient whatever. And then it, it kind of builds in into it. So, I mean, here again, you know, these guys are, they're still interested in this. And they're, they're figuring out ways to make it, in my opinion, less obtrusive and more integrated with the actual song. Yeah. Uh, at risk of starting a conspiracy, you know, this was the same period of time when Tony K was kicked out of Yes for not modernizing his keyboard sounds. So I wonder if, um, you know, Richard Wright felt the pressure that to, uh, you know, modernize and experiment a little bit more to uh, 
to, to keep current? That's a good question. I mean, the, the Floyd never shunned technology as a rule. No, they seem I mean, to embrace it in all fronts wherever yeah. they could. They've got the echoplexes on the uh, on the base here. Yes, and, the echoplex. Uh, That's right. We might have to look up the exact spelling of that. Was was it one of the echoplexes, or was it a variation there of the echoplex? Because because th- there were it, a lot of competing. I believe it competing was. products of the era. I believe yeah. it was the. Well, the wikis. Hold on, the wikis quoted as being the Benson Echo Rec unit. Yeah, yes. I believe I believe it's it's a competitor to the famous Echoplex. What 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 album were we talking about running uh, tape? Uh, one one of the previous albums they were running two tape machines at a distance around the mic stand to get an echo. So I, I, I'm sure it's a welcome advancement in our technology that they can do this so easily with one gadget. Oh God, what was that? I remember that, but I can't remember which which album it was. We've talked it's about a pretty so much. Sti- yeah, it's a, a significant uh, gadget. I mean, right now it's retailing. The Benson Echorec Three is is uh, retailing for thirteen hundred dollars, and the Benson Echorec Two T Seven E is at a, a mere forty one hundred dollars. Goodness gracious! And they're beasts. Mm-hmm. It, it is. They're on reverb right now, and it's they're quite beastly. Hmm. They do. Uh, there is a fun Catalina bread Echo Rec Benson style delay pedal for only two hundred and forty dollars at Sweetwater for those pinching their pennies. Wow! Yeah, these devices are pretty funky. It almost looks like war equipment, but I think everything of that era would appear to be war equipment. Right? To me. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was all the same. All right, I'm going to put in the show notes. I'm going to put a demo of the real a real Echo Rec versus one of the pedal, Catalina pedals. Okay, so we can do a shootout. Awesome, I like it. I, I do find it interesting that you really, you know, there there are no guitars in this to like two thirds of the way through the song, which is an interesting way to build a song. I just, oh, you're referring to that luscious slide that makes me splooge. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's I wasn't aware that that was the effect it had on you, Ken, but yes, <laughs> as a matter of fact. Wow. <laughs> That's why we've got explicit rating. That's exactly that was why. That could have been a quote from the uh, the car ride um, <laughs> to, the, to JFK. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So, you know, I just, I, this has always been in the pantheon for me, and it still is, and I find I enjoy it tremendously. I think it's a rollicking good time. Thumbs up over here, man. Yes. True. No argument. And then we get to a pillow of winds. Meh. Meh. Says Maybe per- says it's perfectly titled, I think. So here's th- there are a couple of things that I find fascinating about this particular recording. I've I find this middle part of the album to be very peaceful, serene, and calming to me, which is very nice. And, you know, it's it's very, you know, congenial, if you will. But the, from, from a technical point of view, as I was listening to this, and as I started listening to this in headphones, here's what I find to be fascinating about this. So when the, the song starts, the acoustic and the slide are split in the stereo, completely split. And then in the middle of the song, they coalesce into the middle. 
And mm. after that, they split in the opposite direction, which I just think is fucking cool. Really? Yes. Damn, I got to get me some of them headphones. <laughs> I, I, you know, I all, every time I hear something like that, Joe, I always wonder, did they mean to do that? Or was that just like as they're fiddling with the production, they, you know, they had to bounce something over here, they yeah. do something to this, and that's just what happened. I don't know. And and they were and they, you know, were like, damn, I wish we could have just kept everything where it was and we didn't have to move <laughs> it around. And meanwhile, we're like, Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> well, I mean it is it's it, it was kind of neat because I was I, I was listening and I'm like, Oh, okay, cool. There's this over here and there's that over there. I get it. And then like I said, in the middle of the song, you can literally feel them kind of converge and into your brain and you're like oh that's pretty neat and yeah. then it, the the split out is is much more subtle to the point where it for me it, it took me a while to, to figure out oh yeah wait we're split again and oh wait no the slides in my right <laughs> ear oh i see what nice. they did there nice. it was pretty cool now and and this song also is where i stumbled upon my my real transition point so i'm going to say this and you guys tell me if you agree or not. Because there was always something that tickled me about the, the first part of this catalog that seemed dramatically different from, from things that are going to come afterwards. And here's what I think it is. I think early Pink Floyd is characterized by vocal harmonies, whereas later Pink Floyd is characterized by the vocal juxtaposition between Roger and David. That's what I think the transition is. Hmm. Really? Echoes has lush harmonies. There seems to be a ton of Gilmore and Wright. Yeah, I don't... I So I definitely agree with the latter half. I don't think the vocal harmonies ever go away. But you're right. The That's not what really defines... Or, or, or defines the impact of what becomes. I, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. Although I don't think the harmonies ever really go away. Because I, I think you're right, Ken. The harmonies with, with Wright and and uh, Gilmore, you know, go throughout. Oh um, yeah, they they make Dark Side. I mean, yeah, they make so I, many albums. Right. Totally. But, but up up to this point, it's always everything's in harmony. There's not that that counterpoint. And like when we talk about, you know, and, right. and and once they discover this little trick, and I don't know who discovered it or whatever, presumably I'm going to I'm going to credit Roger, you know, they use it to great great effect. I wanna say obviously, you know, comfortably numb they do it. Hey you, they do it. Um is it <laughs> is it sheep Ooh. or dogs? Dogs. Dogs they do it. Where David's got that fucking whole, cool the when whole that front part. Mm -hmm. yeah. Then they got the big, you know, instrumental section, and then it comes mm -hmm. back in with the same melody. But suddenly Roger's singing. You're like, what? What? What happened? Where? What? Yeah. What's going on? So, well, a short attention span version run like hell. You know, if they find you in the backseat trying to pick her locks, and then then Roger's going to send you home to mother in a cardboard box. I mean, yeah. Got, yeah, 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 exactly. I, so I think it was Sid's idea, <laughs> and, and they. <laughs> 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 Screw you, Zotter. <laughs> but anyway, that that was just my thought when I when I was thinking about this because we don't have anything like that vocally. Everything well, other up to than this point is okay. Where is where is Waters present? Here? Yeah, so that that was my question. It, um, 
because I felt like every time I wanted to say something in, in my mind, I'm like, oh, no, there's there's Roger. But at this point in time, is it, it's pretty fair to say that David Gilmore is the lead singer of Pink Floyd, right? I think so. It feels that way to me. Yeah. Yeah. David, David's the lead singer with a lot of Richard Wright hanging around, it seems. Yeah. Yeah. So that was that was my thought. And, and that's, like I said, it's not, it's not very matured, but it's a thought. Lovely. And, and I find A Pillow of Winds to be absolutely enjoyable for the reasons that I mentioned. He's just getting his legs. Um, I f- it's the sketchbook kind of a recording to me. Really? I just feel it's, it's still the, the – it, its production value is high, but it's still a sketch. Do you know why I say that? Yeah. Just Yeah. I I feel that way th- across this whole whole record, but this is dreamy and creamy, and mm, I can't wait to listen to this while when I get my new beanbag chair and just like chilling out. There you go. I'm going to guess that Fearless is probably not going to play well to this audience. No, I hook line and sinker got me in. Really, with the soccer. Oh okay. yeah, I what totally this? love this song. This is my this is the highlight of the really? album for me. <laughs> I thought for sure you guys were going to be like, yeah, it doesn't really do it for me. Okay, great. Cool then. And this song feels like home. I don't know when I heard this song the first time, or if, but it's like I feel like I've just always known this song. It's so weird. Did did like some of our uh, high school heroes, uh, like the Matt Honishes and, and Rich Petrus and Rob Ronkies, did they play this ever Like on like on stage? I don't know why I just have a feeling like I always knew this song. Matt's pretty advanced, and it never came across my radar that way. I really like the editing technique with the with the crowd vocal, and it turns out it's mm. a Rodgers and Hammerstein creation that somehow became a football chant for some team on match day in Liverpool. I, don't, I have no idea. Yeah. I just really like, because they're not just tacking it on the end. They're fading it up in the middle to build a little bit of suspense, and... And I actually really like it now. It was jarring. It was odd the first time I heard it, but I and, and I believe just everything is luscious here. The the, uh, the tuning is absolutely resonant. I, I believe it's an open G tuning. Really carries me through this one. Yeah, I, I think that's that's one of the things that I, I really like about it. That open G tuning. It's got that. It's sort of like got that Led Zeppelinish kind of mm-hmm. timbre timbre to it. That's just kind of unique for um for Floyd and maybe that's the charm of this album is like you've got this kind of dreamy sort of psychedelic you've got this kind of roadsy kind of um you know bluesy thing and then you got this the next piece is so like sort of jazzy and you know um it's just there's a it's a nice a nice cascade of different styles but I really dig dig the guitar in this a lot Awesome, good. I'm very excited to hear that. It's <laughs> not at all what, what I was anticipating. So, <laughs> oh, and, and and actually, the quality of Dave's voice is pristine. It, yeah, I, I agree. It's it's a good prelude to his solo material. He's he's really kind of laying down that that diatonic rolling feeling. It's it's very soothing. I love it. All right, so Paul, you had you had sort of led us into Saint Tropez. Mm. Uh, my- wow, it's garbage. <laughs> now, now Ken says it's garbage. <laughs> you know, this is the answer. 
I'm polite when I talk about David's songs because he's polite, and I'm very brusque and rude when I talk about Roger's songs. But you're the Roger defender. You are. I, you're the quarter-pointed I, defender, man. I'm trying. <laughs> I mean, I, in my note here it says, "Not sure what to do with this, but I like it." <laughs> <laughs> you know that that sort of shuffle feel to it, that that sort of swingy thing. It's like, okay, cool. Um, it's it's, yeah. but if you. If you asked me to guess who wrote this, Roger Waters would probably be the last one that I would have picked. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what clues there are that this came from Roger, but... Other than the bizarro lyrics, that's the only thing to me that kind of... Uh, that, that sort of indicates Roger. You know, the thing that's fun about this song is it. it's kind of like... To me, it's kind of Beatlesque, not just the the willingness to use this this type of progression and this kind of beat, but to to insert it in an album that's entirely different from this yeah. particular song. To me, it's very it's very Beatlesh. It's very like Rubber Soul and Revolver uh, kind of thing to do. Uh, maybe even Sgt. Pepper's. I don't know. But you're charitable, Zodder. I, 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 <laughs> I'm going to go there. I just can't abide by San Tropez. It, it's not the Pink Floyd element. It's not the Roger Waters element. Uh, Joe, humor me. What is the uh, the proper vocabulary word that describes uh, a culture that has been abdicated to another culture inappropriately? Cultural misappropriation? Yes. Yes, thank you. So you think this thank is you. cultural misappropriation in a musical I, sense? This is, this is Roger grabbing some kind of... Uh, you know, below the equator, Central American kind of vibe. Yeah. Really? Okay. Yeah. Interesting. So we have uh, we have a cultural misappropriation flag given to Mr. Waters here. <laughs> there was no there was no uh, music video though with him in uh, in a chapeau in, in, <laughs> yeah, in questionable yeah. costumes. Yeah, eating eating uh, Gary R. cheese or something like that. Um, <laughs> drinking wine in a cafe. I mean, isn't it just it's basic samba beat or, or whatnot? Yeah, I, I was I was pretty bored. Move on. Next. Was, well, you want to talk about bored? Let's move on. What the oh fuck is this? So, so I'll, you know, I'll tell you what this is. This is Pink Floyd whimsy, and I don't care for it. <laughs> <laughs> that, you okay. think that's what this is? Wow. I, Why is there I, a dog howling at me? Joe, you've mentioned this on many of the palavers, and I, I believe you've meant it in a very metaphorical sense. But in this case, we're talking about literally this is a steaming pile of dog shit. <laughs> <this song>. <laughs> <laughs> And it's not like we don't please, do research. Please don't do that when I take a drink. Oh my God, I almost drowned myself. <laughs> Every member of the flavor has probably listened to this six, seven, eight, nine, ten times. And we really try. And sometimes we fail even after that many listens. <laughs> I mean, there's they, they have a video of this. They, they, no, I, I, there was one of the videos that I watched on YouTube where, where David Gilmore basically said there were, there were times where they were literally, it felt like they were just making noises for the sake of making no noises. Um, but there's literally a video of them sitting around <laughs> playing music with a dog on a stool howling. I mean, just. <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
<laughs> I mean, what what do you do with that? The only mm. thing good about it is it's only two minutes and fifteen seconds long. So, I mean, did you go down the wiki rabbit hole on the dog? No, I have not. No, no. So it was apparently at the time Gilmore was watching the dog of one Steve Marriott or Mario. I don't know how you say his name. Who was the uh, songwriter and frontman for Small Faces and Humble Pie? Oh yeah. So there, you've got that going for you, huh? You know. So uh, apparently, oh, um, Nick was dog sitting or something. Was that David? Something? David was dog sitting. So apparently, let's let's presume then that having a dog around was some sort of novelty. I don't know. And so, I mean, in in that sense, I get why, you know, maybe they were like kind of tickled pink, but like, hey, check it out. I do this and the dog howls. <laughs> but but why that actually gets released on an album is beyond me. We were very amused to have the doggy at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it really just, I mean, it doesn't even... There's not even a good story about like you know they were they were shoving it to the man or whatever. That just they just you know yeah. yeah. It just you I mean know, a I, B side maybe okay sure. Um, you know in the in the in the golden days of CD a bonus track absolutely nice mug Ken. Mm-hmm. But it's, now, now you could you you could argue that it, it sets you up perfectly. Sort of, it, it sort of cleanses the palate in not a terrific way, but it cleanses the palate to prepare you for echoes. Yeah, right? I, I don't think we really want to cleanse our palate with steaming piles of dog shit. Yeah, but yeah, I agree. <laughs> I agree. And and if I think about this in the in the vinyl sense, I mean, after Seamus, I may not flip the record. <laughs> I may just be like, fuck this. <laughs> you could be you could be so offended that you're not even going to make the effort. Yeah, I just want to go back and listen to those two basses with the strings that are old. That's <laughs> Oh, this is fun. Okay, so I think we've we've talked about Seamus enough. Huh? <laughs> we've given it due. I, I I you know, if I want to hear a dog on something, I'll go back and and listen to uh, Spot the Drummer and hear Buddy walk into the room. That there would be, you go. That would be better. It's nice to know that Buddy has sort of saved it for posterity. Yes. So, Echoes. Now, this is really what I wanted to talk about. Mm. This song makes me happy. Yes. So, and it all, you know, in all of their wanking and noodling about, you know, apparently someone said, oh, let's run a piano through a Leslie cabinet. Won't that be cool? Well, turns out, yeah, it's pretty fucking cool. <laughs> you know, sort, sort, sort of. Well, they, they they got lucky with the sound. And when they, they recorded it at Abbey Road on 8-track, and when they went elsewhere on 16-track and thought they could re-record it, it wasn't happening. They, yeah. they used the original. And I, I believe it. It's just so luscious, so unique, so resonant the way it was captured and mic'd. If you... If you listen uh, on headphones, which I do own, um, I, I can uh, hear that Leslie. It's absolutely beautiful with that resonance, and I, I, I just love this note. And then the other, it, 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 it's a very pure um, Pavlovian test for humans, right? I mean, you just hear that little sound, and and 
we have this visceral response as as Floyd fans. To yeah, absolutely. In, in, in any setting, and pr- pr- particularly nice with our regional Floyd cover band Echoes. Uh, when when you're not sure what they're going to play, and then you hear the sound, you know exactly what's coming. You just get this warm and fuzzy feeling all over your body, like oh, imagine. that sound. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Bow, wow, wow. I'm right there. I'm I'm mm. lapping it up. I believe it. And then, of course, the other sort of, you know, fun techno uh, facet going on here, which I was not aware of until I started looking into the wikis again, is this idea of the the shepherd tone, um, which, which um, you know, is it's sort of a, well, I guess it's a, a musical illusion, as it's described, where what it's overlapping sine waves or something that give the impression of constantly ascending or descending, even though nothing ever changes. Fascinating. I think that's kind of cool. Oh, Mr. Scientist, tell me that one more time. I'm really into this. <laughs> well, well, there's a, there's a wiki page on it and uh, perhaps Paul, we should, we should link to that. Well, there is some grit. So, so piano is a percussion instrument. And uh, just the strike of the key is still obvious in this, if, if you know what to listen for. And I do find that that is gritty. The attack is, is rather gritty. But, but what grabs me is the sonar-type sound mm. that sustains, which, which is, in fact, very sinusoidal. It's very smooth and luscious. All right, so a shepherd tone, named after Roger Shepard, is a sound consisting of a superposition of sine waves separated by octaves. When played with the bass pitch of the tone moving upward or downward, it is referred to as the shepherd scale. This creates the auditory illusion of a tone that continually ascends or descends in pitch, yet which ultimately get, seems to get no higher or lower. Mm, yes. Okay. Yeah, and this is, uh, it's funny, the, the, this is a... No, uh, no, the shepherd tone is in the background of the track, and you can kind of hear it if you pay attention to it. It's completely oh, separate oh, from it, the piano. Oh, oh okay. I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever paid attention to it, but but this is like a, a thing that's used in film scoring, too. Um, it's in a bunch of films, but I think I learned about it in in a, a recent movie called Dunkirk. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's used frequently in that, and it was it was created in I guess in in films to to create sort of suspense, mm. the, sort of the feeling that something's happening even though nothing's happening. So I guess it's a shame that Tom's not here because I would love to know Tom's level of familiarity with the shepherd yeah. tone. So so he's, that he's he's got four of them in his bag. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder how many Paul Stacy has. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he's got the vintage. He's not sure. He's got to find. He's got to dig out his bag. Hopefully, he can find the adapter. <laughs> Sorry, I Stephen Wilson jokes. Uh, go back and listen to our episode on "To the Bone." In a lot of ways, the the big preamble that I gave at the top of this episode is encapsulated within this song. This song is it's probably a lot more forward looking than backward looking. Um, I mean, you know, you can hear uh, shine on you, crazy diamond. Um, you can mm. hear dark side of the moon. You can hear, you know, things from in the future that are coming. But at the same time, I think, you know, the, 
the vocal treatment in sort of the the way that I was describing before is still more rooted in, in where Pink Floyd has been as opposed to where Pink Floyd will go. And and so I just I, I find so much of this song just absolutely stunning. Um, I think the vocals are, are very soothing, yet in a kind of a spooky manner, right? It, you almost get the impression that you're trying to be lulled into a stupor, but why would you want that, right? Mm. I don't know. It, it, there just seems to be some sort of underlying sinister intent to me. Um, oh, yes. Absolutely. I like the un- underlying sinister intent. I like how somewhere somewhere around seven or eight minutes into the song, they get into the um, sort of, the, if, if you could call it a breakdown, but the, the bass and drums just sort of doom, mm-hmm. doom, 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 And it's like at that moment, they it's like they stumble upon the drum sound that, 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 that they're like, and they're like, that's it. That's, that's it. it. We're not going to change the drum sound for 30 years now. That's perfect. <laughs> Keep it just like that. <laughs> and I, and I, and I love it. I love it. And it, it it's, it, it's the sound. Less work for Nick. Nick, Nick's not changing <laughs> a thing. That's, that's all in his nature. That's who he's born to be. This is an absolutely uh, gorgeous song. Uh, it's in uh, C minor. And it, it could just be a diatonic song, meaning that it would stay in one key, just kind of boring. But they were criticized for staying in one key by a Rolling Stone journalist at one point until they, you know, ventured out beyond those con- confines. And then this, this is where they break the mold right here. Ah, oh, what a gorgeous major chord. And then back to the minor. Mm. Another major chord. That's the the fifth. So it's kind of the difference between staying in a purely minor key or making it harmonic minor where the fifth has a raised third. It gives you a very Baroque kind of sound or very Bach kind of sound. And then the chorus is just gorgeous. Um, Okay, same thing. This is exactly what my uh, music theory classes in college were like. <laughs> yeah. The professor, the professor yeah. would do this, and you'd say the same thing, and then this is gorgeous here. And <laughs> yeah, right here, right here. The, the major chord in the chorus. Um, and, and that little lift. Oh, and this is the part that... Uh, that really. of all, like, right? So yeah. this will be the beginning of my campaign on Roger Waters as a douche <laughs> because he's, he's on record as saying that he was, he felt like um, Andrew Lloyd Webber stole that riff for Phantom of the Opera. Come on. Like really? It's a, cro- it's a chromatic riff. No, I mean, I, I mean, perhaps I shouldn't be. Apparently, this was he—he he gave this information on interviews when he was promoting uh, "Amused to Death," and he said uh, he said that it's exactly from Echoes. He couldn't believe it when he heard it. It's the same time signature, same structure, same notes, and he said uh, it's probably actionable. But he said life's too short to be suing Andrew fucking Lloyd Webber. What a dick. Really? I, I believe that Roger Waters would shun from suing no one. 
<laughs> oh, right there, right there. Yeah. Oh, right there, right there. <laughs> and and I would say a lot of that comes from, you know, Rick opened the door to using chords from classical music earlier in their career. But this is where they're kind of unified. They're doing it in a way that's not just kind of piano only. They've they've settled on this and this technique. Adam Hart Mother, the, the main riff, you know, is reminiscent of this. Um, they're not happy with a four chord song. Definitely not happy with a three chord song. Somewhat happy with a four chord song. But damn, if you can get to six or seven chords, that is the Floyd. <laughs> That's what we're looking for. <laughs> I mean, it's it's amazing, you know. And okay, so here we go. One of one of the the hallmarks, right? Of of you know, Prague Greatum is you've got to have your your massive piece. Right. So this is here. We've got here. We got one 23 minutes and change, whatever the hell it is. This thing is sprawling kind of in the way that close to the edge is sprawling, goes to a lot of different places. But it's it's as controlled and as musical, with the exception of the four minute noise break in the middle. Um, you know, it's just I, I've, I just find it to be extraordinarily well done. Um, and you know, so one of the things, again, when you're listening to this in headphones, so there's the extended solo section in the first half of the song where Gilmore is trying to be, you know, rock God Gilmore, but he doesn't have the sound, which is kind of cute. And then there's that break after there, Paul, where you're talking about the, the, the drum sound and everything else in headphones, that is killer because I'm pretty sure the, the drums and the bass are both split or doubled and split. So they're yeah. just pounding in each one of your ears and just kind of like it's not like centered in your brain it's just crushing your brain from both sides at the same time which i just think yeah. is really fucking cool yeah and mm. the guitar when the guitar comes in the solos the guitar is 12 o'clock it's yeah. wonderful and then um and then i mentioned the 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 very long um, sort of noise break. It's like from minutes 11 to 15. It's literally the length of a song of just noise and noodling. But it's done and somehow it, it's never annoying. I'm never like, oh, I can't wait for this to be done. Because I know once it comes back in and the way it comes back in, oh, Jiminy Christmas. It's just ridiculous. And I think this is where in this in this region, this is where you can really pick up on that shepherd tone sort of, you know, pulling you through yeah. all of this. Um and then the the keys and the guitar come back in and and then the bass and it just keeps, you know, building until you get that uh that lead guitar that comes back in. Now, here's the interesting thing. When that when that lead comes in there, with with the delay on it, it reminds me of something that like Red Rider would have done in 1983 or something. It it nice. it, it just has that sort of feel about it. Um, and I well, I, you could say Pink Floyd is the original Lunatic Fringe. Yeah, exactly. And then you know, and then ultimately it, it all builds right back into the original melody, and you're just like, oh. Thank you. <laughs> you know, I mean, you're you're 18, 20 minutes in at this point, and and it just it it just plops you right back where you want to be in the first place. And I just 
I love it so much. I love this it. This is what Adam Hart Mother should have been. Well, exactly. This is what Adam Hart Mother, I think, tried to do. And it's a shame that Tom's not here to to argue the point because I know <laughs> I know he loves Adam Hart Mother tremendously. But I think this is is such better execution of this. Now, if I may, there's another part to this that I I find funny, and I didn't really anticipate it. Paul, before the before the episode, we were talking about you know us taking breaks and listening to things that we quote unquote mm-hmm. should not have been. I mentioned the wall. The one thing I didn't mention is the other song that this echoes put in my head listening to echoes a lot and it wasn't it was almost unconscious when i went to my my case and i pulled out this particular cd the last all about eve album which was done with marty wilson piper ultraviolet Mm -hmm. um was recorded i believe in 1992 so many years 20 21 years after the fact Oh, that is that the one with the two Gilmore solos? No, that's um, that's first touched album? by Jesus. That's the the album mm. immediately preceding Ultraviolet. Okay. So, so we know since they've already had Gilmore in, and we I think we've told that story before. How they you know the David yes. tried to play something that wasn't David, and they're like, but we want a David Gilmore solo. <laughs> so, you know, clearly they're they're familiar, and and I I should know more about Marty Wilson Piper than I do, but. Suffice it to say, I was compelled to pull out that that CD. And there's a track on there called Infrared, which is juxtaposed with the, al- the album title Ultraviolet. Very, very cool. Mm. Wow. And it starts out with a and, – and I'm, I haven't I, – I can't look into it because I, I haven't found any information on the level of what you get for Pink Floyd recordings. But it has sort of this, this piano – single note thing that is very reminiscent of hmm. of echoes um it has the same sort of spooky feel about it in fact this song has it has probably the most haunting lyric and once it gets in my head it it creeps me out for weeks the very first lines of the song are the sacred and the scared align to call on me to break the ballerina's spine my heart is fallen where he lands. It's like, cool. Wow. Oh, I remember that one. And it's so fucking spooky, but it reminds me so much of Echoes. And like I said, the more I listened to Echoes, I was drawn to this album and to listen to this this particular song. It's and like I said, I don't know where the influence comes from. If it was it was Marty Wilson Piper or or some of the other band members, um, but. To me, I think Echoes had a significant impact on that album and that song in particular. Mm. Cool. Actually, since I knew about Infrared first, it may very well be that I love Echoes so much because I loved Infrared. I don't know. Hmm. Hmm. So I was going to ask this. I don't know. I, I don't know if this is fair. I don't necessarily mean to compare here. I think it's just, uh, or, or maybe, maybe compare. And maybe I do mean to compare, but I don't really necessarily mean the comparison to say that one is better than the other. Or um, I just noticed this different. Is that? And and let me know if I'm way off here. Is it fair to say that like with 
like if you think about Pink Floyd and the and the the arc, it's it's very additive. Like they like not only do they develop, but they continuously seem to add and and refine the the same the same piece. Like I think if there's if there's any criticism I have in Echoes is that it's the reverse derivative, right? It's I can hear so much of the future in in Echoes that it that I almost it almost it almost ends up becoming irrelevant to to me as I as I listen, and that's pretty strong. That's pretty strong to say that because so, it's pretty cool. So you're saying you're like, why should I listen to this when I can listen to Wish You Were Here or whatever? Right? Why why review the sketches when I can just go straight to the masterpiece? Where where when I think about like yes. You know they they went through an incredible arc of music and creativity, and in some aspects it was very additive. But I I feel like each piece stands more individually on its own, maybe than you know than than these. And maybe that's the magic of the big four or whatever whatever we're calling them, where you know those those songs while they there is a progression or those albums while there's a progression and how they go that they they are a little bit more individual mm -hmm. than than you know these these previous sketch sketchbooks if you will and and i feel like genesis wasn't quite as what i think genesis was closer to the yes comparison than than the pink floyd and again it's not to say that it's a negative thing i just it's just something different that I'm that I'm noticing as I'm listening here. Well, and, and I think you know again one of the uh, one of the sort of parallels that we find in, in at least the progressive bands that we have done so far these 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 uh, these trend setting ones these groundbreakers is these guys you know they, they were all young kids who decided they wanted to be in, in a rock band they didn't know what that meant how to do it or anything else and so they they learned and made stuff up as they went along and you know i think that it, it's influenced by what they were listening to at the time and also you know it the the different combinations of people ended up developing in different ways so i i, right. I, I get it it makes it makes a, a lot of sense i love this song <laughs> I, but I still think they're channeling, they're, they're channeling California Dreaming because the easiest way to play this is with a capo on the fourth fret and you get that big luscious chord. It's a C sharp minor, but with that capo, you just get to play it in the A minor format and then. And these big luscious chords translate really well to the mamas and the papas. So I just want to throw that in there. I'm thinking this was the song of a generation, and they rewrote it a million fucking times better. Interesting. I I want to see Ken Gregory go on tour, where he <laughs> he discusses the music theory of progressive rock through <laughs> the sixties and seventies. That would be oh. so cool. Yeah. Yes, yeah. I could see that happening at the Foundry on the stage. There's Ken. Totally. With like a yeah. headset on and, and his acoustic guitar. And a whiteboard just, and just a projector. Just like it is now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That would yeah. be phenomenal. I got to do something when I retire. 
Yeah, I, I, I totally dig it. I don't even know. Like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much out at this point. I'm spent. I've, uh, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. just everything. I, 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 I understand exactly what you're saying, Paul. And there's a reason. You know, I, I think there's a definite reason why metal, um, you know, and, and obscured by clouds and. You know, they're not part of the the quote unquote main sequence. It's not yeah. it's not quite at the level of Dark Side, Wish You Were Here Animals and the Wall. I okay, great. I, I get it. But it's for me it's pretty darn close and I think, you know, I, I don't know, I just I personally have, you know, a, a very soft spot in my heart for this record and I very much enjoy it, Seamus aside. Yeah. And and you're right. Like, if you took this album and said, okay, which grouping of records does this fit with more? Does it fit more with the main sequence or does it fit more with the psychedelic Sid Barrett stuff? Like, I definitely, uh, to me, it definitely leans more towards the main sequence oh, for yeah. all, all the good reasons that we've talked about. Yeah, absolutely. So that, uh, that is metal. I love it. Which I was neutral. Wasn't I neutral you on the text messages? You were neutral. I said I was neutral. Yes. <laughs> but 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 all it took was just w- that one last listen before the show that really congealed everything I had is, researched. Is that what always happens with you, Ken? Because you're always either neutral or negative. And by the time we get on air, you're like, oh, it's listen to this chord, and this is fantastic. And <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, no I, I said I, I give a shit palaver when I don't play along with the music. And then I play along, and I, oh, I would, oh that's where, yeah. I, I would, yeah. I would. I would argue that point, Ken. We've had some very, very good palavers with you prior to having all these guitars running around. Um, but I do okay. think it definitely enhances the experience. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, our listening audience are enjoying it as well. Because I certainly am. I think it's spectacular. I want you to. I, I don't ever want to do another one without you and your guitar. But that's you know. Yes. All right. Yeah. So 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 palaver friends, if you would like to bash our our guitar playing, you can find us on Instagram. Facebook and uh, progpala at gmail.com. Wow. You, 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 you can also bash our guitar playing on Twitter. We're, we're very active on the Twitters. Awesome. And, and, and if you can do better with your own guitar playing, we suggest that you post your videos. That's to what we Instagram, need. the Facebook and the Twitter. Cause we have, we, 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 we only have one, um, what we would call annual goal for the flavor. And that's to get more active on our, on our YouTube channel. So we're gonna have a we're gonna have a kind of face off of guitar, gu- guitar noodling of of Belaverdom on the uh, on the YouTube channel. I, this is what this, this is what we need, Ken. We need you to create little videos of these because <laughs> we, we're not recording these, and and then we need to invite our audience to respond with their guitar or piano playing of these sections, and then they can post them in the comments with the hashtag. Hashtag Kenny G plays Prague, I think. <laughs> <laughs> well, P- Prague Pilot will do just fine. But yes, thank you. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Well, I I got nothing else. I'm I'm pretty. <laughs> you can't even did my outro for me. <laughs> I know. All the social media has just been plugged. I edited one freaking episode Can- and I memorized the. Sh- <laughs>
we hope you've enjoyed this episode of Progressive Palaver. <laughs> As always, we've enjoyed sharing the conversation and the bad impersonations with you. We welcome, as always, your thoughts, comments, feedback, questions, or your videos um, on how you would play <laughs> the various songs here on on Pink Floyd's Metal. You can reach us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. As Ken mentioned, search for Progressive Palaver. <laughs> All of those. You can email us uh, progpala at gmail.com. And um, we've got a, a YouTube channel, and I don't even know how to tell you to find it um, other than it's Progressive Go Palaver. Go to YouTube and, and search Progressive Palaver. This is kind of the way that the Pink Floyd concert ended at JFK. Every We were all just giggling like silly. We couldn't stop laughing. Because we were in the rain for two hours. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, my. Progressive Palaver is available for subscription and download on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and presumably anywhere you find your podcast. And we are, as always, hosted on SoundCloud. So, until next time, thanks for listening. Closing thoughts. We were very happy to have the dog at the barbecue with the Echoplex. <laughs> we ruminated upon the chicken bones <laughs> with our sounds. <laughs> I could not say the name Roger for 20 years, but I practiced. <laughs> I can say Roger freely with no emotional response. <laughs> I just said it Roger. In fact, the entire podcast I just recorded is one exercise in saying Roger. <laughs> <laughs>